I appreciate that very, very much. I want you to take your Bibles uh, this evening. I'm, I'm going to be brief tonight. I'm going to be brief. I, I got a lot of, I want to give you, but I think I can do it very, very quickly tonight. And then uh, after the invitation, and we don't always do it this way, but after the invitation, I want to talk to you real quickly about something that I feel like is very, very exciting, and I hope that you're going to feel like it's exciting as well. And so 1 Kings chapter 19 in your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter number 19, and when you find your place tonight, if you'll stand with us, 1 Kings chapter number 19, and we're going to begin in verse number 1, and all day today we're doing things that aren't necessarily uh, homiletically correct, all right? We've read a lot of scripture today, we're going to, we're going to read a considerable amount of scripture tonight. But I feel like we need to do that just so we have a good idea and a good context of what's going on here. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Have you ever wondered about that? you ever wondered why Elijah ran? We're talking about one of, the, one of the most powerful prophets in all of Scripture. He just has killed 450 prophets of Baal. He's called down fire from heaven. I mean, this guy is plugged in. Uh, to the Lord, but yet in 1 Kings chapter 19, he runs. We were talking about it over lunch today. I really believe that Elijah, at least in 1 Kings chapter 19, I believe that Elijah is a picture of the child of God that, that decides not to walk in the Spirit. And so look what happens here in verse number 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree uh, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. By the way, he's under a juniper tree. Uh, juniper trees are all over the place in the Holy Land. And these, little, these juniper trees are a little bit more like a bush. And so, you know what that means? This guy's low. He's not under an oak tree. He's, he's under a juniper bush. He's low. He's about as low as the snake's belly. Verse 5 says, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals on a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. Here it is. And I... Even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he talking about the Lord. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a 
great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Aren't you glad for that still small voice tonight? And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. Here it is. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshah, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Well, look at verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal in every mouth which hath not kissed him. And so you may be seated. And just for, just for a few moments, and I want to try to be an encouragement to you this evening. I really do. I believe that's the direction that we're headed tonight. And uh, a lot of, uh, the Lord's been so good. Some other things that I really had considered preaching to the church tonight. But this just seemed to be, this seemed to be the message of the hour. And so... I want to talk to you about that subject, I, even, I, only. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you felt like maybe you were, you were the minority? Maybe even you felt like you were the only one left standing. And that's where Elijah is. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. And I hope it'll be a blessing. I hope it'll make sense tonight. Let's pray and we'll jump into the Bible study. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for the privilege to be here tonight. And Lord, I pray now that you'll net our hearts together for the next few moments. And I pray that we'll uh, learn something that would encourage us, that would, uh, Lord, that would solidify our Christian walk. And Lord, I pray that even in these days in which we're living, that we as God's children will live the victorious Christian life. God, we'll do that not by accident. We'll do that on purpose. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you would work in our hearts, my heart, and the hearts of your dear people. And I pray that we would decide tonight that everything's all right in my Father's house. And, Lord, that you are in control. And I pray that we will live that victorious Christian life in Christ in 2021. Fill us with power of the Holy Spirit now. And, Lord, I pray that you'll work in the service. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. And we find here in 1 Kings chapter 19 that the enemy has lied to Elijah and at least made him feel like he is the only one still serving God. He feels as if he's all by himself, that at least in his mind, Elijah feels like there's not another person in the world 
who feels strongly, at least as strongly as he does, about serving Jehovah God. I believe that Elijah is at this point in his life where he feels like the world is sort of closing in on top of him. And the enemy, by the way, the enemy had evidently been sowing this seed for some time because we find that 1 Kings chapter 19 is not the only time that Elijah mentioned this. In fact, I want you to look back a, a page or so, 1 Kings chapter 18, and look, if you will, at verse number 21 tonight. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. And the Bible says, And Elijah came into all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. And verse 22 says, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. In other words, I'm, I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered. I'm the only one. I am, definitely the, I am definitely the minority as far as the righteous is concerned, as far as the godly is concerned. Now, Calvary, we believe this tonight. We believe that the enemy has sowed this seed in an all-out attempt to get Elijah discouraged. And by the way, it hit his target. And now we know that discouragement is one of the strongest weapons in the arsenal of the enemy. It's a fictitious story, of course, but there's a story that one was wandering in a deep, dark forest one time and they stumbled upon the barns of Satan's seeds. Those seeds that he sows on a, on a regular basis in the lives of God's people. I'm talking about seeds of temptation. I'm talking about seeds of resentment, seeds of unforgiveness, seeds of unbelief and uh, and. Satan was taking this person around and he said, uh, these uh, in this barn, those are the seeds of unforgiveness. And over here in this barn, those are the seeds of unbelief. And, and uh, one by one, Satan introduced him to the different barns. And then they came to a barn that was extremely vast. It was the largest of any of the barns that Satan possessed. And the person said, what in the world is held in this barn. And Satan smiled and he got a gleam in his look and he said, oh, that's my favorite. That's my favorite seed. That's my most effective seed. The seeds of discouragement. And here's our problem. Elijah begins believing the lie. Elijah felt like he was the only one left. Now somebody says, Pastor, okay, why, why, why are you preaching this tonight? And this is the reason I'm preaching. I really feel in my spirit that the devil has been working overtime the last few months. I, 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 and, I, and don't get me wrong. I, well, I appreciate your spirit and, and not just Calvary as well. I, I appreciate the spirit of God's people. But, but I've sensed, you know, after all that's transpired in our nation, uh, as Hannah said a moment ago, we've come off an extremely difficult year. And a lot of people perished from COVID. And, and then there was political upheaval. And, uh, and uh, we've seen a lot of things transpire in Washington, D.C. That, that we maybe many of us never wanted to see. And, and I'm going to be honest. I think that the devil's been working overtime to try to sow those seeds of discouragement among the people of God. I believe that he's told messages like the world is closing in on top of Christians. 
I believe he'll say something like this, that your numbers are decreasing rapidly. That righteousness is no longer in control. That, and, and has the devil done this? The devil will say, hey, hey, somebody else is in the driver's seat now. Somebody else is steering this nation now. And by the way, I just want to remind us real quickly that the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And so this nation is not totally dependent upon Joe Biden, nor is it totally dependent upon Donald Trump. Thank God that God is in control tonight. But the devil comes and the devil says, man, revival is a faint possibility. It's a doubtful wish. The freedom of religion is probably on the way out. And the devil will come and the devil will say, I don't know if you know this or not, but you are definitely the minority. There's not many like you left. The crowds are getting smaller and smaller. The churches are dying. That's, at least that's what the devil will say. By the way, that's not true. But the devil will say that churches are dying all across America and, uh, and that the numbers are, are decreasing, that your days are numbered and that everyone is going in a different direction. But I just came here tonight to tell you this. Don't be duped into believing the same lie that Elijah fell for. I'm just going to give you three thoughts tonight, three statements tonight quickly, and then we're going we're to let you go and go to the house tonight. Number one is this. God often chooses to use a remnant. God often chooses to use a remnant. What do you mean, preacher? A remnant or something small to do something mighty great. Now, when I think about that, when I think about a remnant and I think about something small and God doing great things, it seems like my mind at least always goes to the story in Judges chapter 7. In Judges chapter 7, we read about a judge by the name of Gideon. And the Bible says that the Midianite people are oppressing Israel. They're, they're taking their livestock. They're taking their harvest and their grain and all these kind of things. And the Bible says that God calls Gideon to defeat the Midianite army. Gideon starts with 32,000 soldiers, which, by the way, is not enough. Now, the Midianite army is much larger than that. But at least he has 32,000. And so God comes to Gideon. It's almost a humorous story. And God comes to Gideon. He says, Gideon, uh, how many do you have? Gideon says, Lord, uh, we don't have enough, but we got 32,000. And God says to Gideon, Gideon, uh, you got too many. And I don't know that Gideon said this, but I think Gideon probably said, excuse me. And he said, you got too many. And then he says to Gideon, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. Tell all those men who are afraid to just go back home. <laughs> you know what, church? This is the truth. The Lord really does have a sense of humor. He really does. And so Gideon goes to the soldiers, and, and Gideon's probably thinking, you know what? I'm going to do this, but I know these patriots. I, I know they're going to cleave to the sword. I know they're going to hang with me. And so uh, Gideon says, all right, Lord, I'll do it. And so Gideon says, all right, fellas. If there's anybody that's apprehensive, anybody that's fearful, you can go home. And the Bible says 22,000 soldiers turned around and went to the house. Gideon goes from 32,000 to 10,000 in one move. 
And I, I've got to believe that Gideon is thinking, Lord, what in the world are we going to do? The Midianite army is huge, and here I only have 10,000 soldiers. And God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, uh, you got too many. He said, you see, Gideon, here's the thing. If I let you go down there with all these soldiers, there's a chance that Israel will say, we won the victory. And so he says, as they go down to the body of water to drink, he said, Gideon, I want you to watch. And he said, I want you to count. And he said, as they go down to that, that creek or that brook or whatever it may be, and, and they begin to, uh, to take a drink, he said, some of the men are gonna, they're gonna reach down and they're gonna bring their hand to their mouth. They're gonna laugh like a dog. They're gonna bring the water up, but they're vigilant, they're diligent. They're looking for the enemy while they drink. He said, there's gonna be another group and he said they're just going to fall down on their knees and man they're just going to start sucking water like a horse does he said i want you to separate the crowd and so sure enough those that just fall down into the water on their knees and just start drinking 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 are 9700 those who go down to the body of water and they bring the water to their mouth are 300 and god comes to gideon and says gideon Send the 9,700 to the house. And Gideon goes from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. And I'm sure the world looks on and the world says there's no way. But how many know that with God there is a way? And with man, there are things that are impossible. But with God, there are things that are never impossible. And God brings a great victory by the hands of 300 men. What are you saying, Pastor? God often uses small things to accomplish great works. Can I remind us tonight, it is the small honeybee that is used to pollinate the beautiful flowers. It's a small match that can cause an enormous fire. It's the small rudder that guides the huge ship. It's the small anchor that holds the ship firm in the storm. It is the small hinge that allows the large heavy door to open and close. It is the small snowflakes that deepen the snow and often halt uh, all of transportation. Listen, God uses the small things. God uses the remnant to do a great work. I found this verse this week in Luke chapter 12, verse number 32. Jesus said this, fear not little flock, fear not little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, I want to tell you what. It doesn't take something mighty and big to do a great work with God. Listen, God is able to use a remnant to accomplish great things for him. Somebody says, Pastor, I've never even heard of Union Grove, North Carolina. I can't find it on the map. I couldn't find it on the GPS. I don't see it on the news or anything like that. And I understand that maybe nobody knows about the Calvary Baptist Church, and maybe nobody knows about Union Grove, North Carolina. But I would tell you this tonight, church. Did you know that God can take a remnant of country people in Northern Ireland County at Calvary Baptist Church and there is a great big God that can take some little rinky-dink people and do a great work for the kingdom of God. God often chooses to use a remnant. And so the devil comes and the devil says, boy, you're the minority now. Just, you just tell the devil to go back to hell. 
or wherever he came from. He's not in hell, that's for sure. He's not in hell. But understand that God often chooses to use a remnant. Number two is this. God doesn't need a crowd to accomplish a great work. You know what I was going to say? Honestly, I was. I was going to say this to you. I was going to say that you and God make a majority. But that's not true. God is the majority. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I understand understand what you're saying. But I'm just saying that regardless of what you do or I do, there is a God that is so powerful and so mighty and so high and so able. There is a God that the truth is that God alone is the majority. God doesn't need a crowd to accomplish a great work. May I remind us tonight that God used 12 common men called disciples, eventually apostles, to literally change the future of the world. Can I remind us tonight that Jesus took five loaves and two fishes to to feed a great multitude in Matthew chapter 14. That in 1 Samuel chapter 17, God used a small shepherd boy uh, to defeat a mighty giant by the name of Goliath. And then in 2 Kings chapter 19, that God used one angel, one angel to slay an entire army of 185,000 soldiers. That in Judges chapter 3, God used or God empowered one judge by the name of Shamgar to kill 600 with an ox goat. An ox goat. An Uzi? No, an ox goat. Do y'all know what an ox goat is? It's a stick with a point on it. And while they're driving the oxen, if the oxen get a little, a little slow, they goat them. Hip, come on, hip, hip. Poke them with that sharp point. Hip, come on, hip, hip, let's go. Okay, come on, let's go, let's go. And the Bible says that Shamgar <laughs> took an ox goat and killed 600 men. You say, well, I preach that's something. Yeah, until you get to Judges chapter 15. And then we find that God gave Samson the power to defeat 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And that God used a rod in the hand of Moses to part the waters of the Red Sea. And so I want us to understand, somebody says, Pastor, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, it looks like we're the minority. It, it looks like that, that, that the world's just caving in on top of us. And it looks like things are not going in our way. And it looks like the nation's not going the way we need it to go. And I just want to encourage you and I tell you this, that God doesn't need a crowd to accomplish great things for the glory of himself. A crowd is not needed to accomplish great things. By the way, Satan knows that too. Did you know that Satan understands the power of that truth? That one person, one person who is zealous for the cause, whether righteous or unrighteous, can make a tremendous difference for good or for evil. It was 1963. Many, many years before some of you were ever thought about. 1963, and a lady came on the scene by the name of Madeline Murray O'Hare. 
Her son had attended a public school, I think, right in the, the greater Baltimore, Baltimore area. And one of the public school teachers had, had read in the public school, they had publicly read the word of God. And by the way, when we used to do that, we were a whole lot better off. He came home and told, let his mom know about that. And Madeline Murray O'Hare began to protest. She began to cause an uprising. And one lady that caused a protest was successful in having the reading of God's word deemed unconstitutional in public schools around America. Although she was one very embittered woman, and she was. Did you know that she was dedicated and zealous for her cause? Now, her cause was wicked. Her cause was vile. But she was sold out to the cause. She was dedicated to the cause. And because she was dedicated to the cause, uh, she was used to bring about terrible, terrible change in our nation. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not going to preach on this. I, and I, I don't have time to chase this rabbit tonight, but... But I would just say this, when that, that when I was a boy going to public school, we didn't have to worry about drug-sniffing dogs and we didn't have to worry about uh, resource officers, which just is a fancy way of saying having deputies on the, uh, on the property. Uh, we didn't have to have those kind of things. We didn't even have to have locks for our, our, our lockers back then. Uh, but thank God we had a public school teacher who every single morning would read the Word of God and we would stand beside our desk and we would pledge allegiance to the American flag and a public school teacher would pray in a public school classroom and we were doing a whole lot better all back in that day and time. And one lady was successful in having that removed. And I said that to say this, oh, that God would give us some Christians at Calvary Baptist Church that would be sold out to the cause of Christ. Somebody, somewhere, maybe some young man, maybe some teenage boy, tonight God would start a fire in your heart and you would say this, though no gun with me, I will make a difference for the cause of the Savior. John Wesley said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. I'm talking about dedicated to a cause. And I know, I know we're living in a day. People say, you know, y'all take this religion thing way too serious. You've probably had that said to you. I mean, you, you guys, y'all need to chill. That's what they'll say. What do y'all do? Just go to church all the time? What do y'all, y'all just go to church all the time? We go to church Sunday morning for about an hour and a half, two hours. We go to church on Sunday night, an hour and a half. We go to church on Wednesday night for about an hour and a half. And they say, what do y'all do? Just go to church all the time? Of course, I guess when you don't go to church any, that seems like all the time. I mean, you need to chill just a little bit on this Bible reading thing and this preaching thing. But understand that one person given to the cause. Did you know really, this is the truth, really the sky's the limit for this crowd. Did you know, did you know that the, the next D.L. Moody might be sitting in this room? The next evangelist that may shake this nation, God may use him to, to shake this nation to the core, may be sitting in this room right here. By the way, the next president of the United States 
could be seated in this room tonight. That's the truth, church. You say, Pastor, we're a bunch of country folk. And we are a bunch of country folk. By the way, nothing wrong with that. We're a country folk, country church, Union Grove, North Carolina. Understand that, that, that the young man who may help this country, who may preach to this country, God may, that the next great awakening may be a young man in this room tonight that God may stir and they may yield themselves to the Lord and say, I'm not going to do the drug thing and I'm going to stay away from alcohol and I'm going to keep myself pure and I want God to use me. You know what? There may be some parents in here tonight who would say, we're going to raise our kids for the glory of God and, and I may not be the, I may not be super Christian, but I'm going to try to raise my kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Lord, I'm going to try to pastor them a, a heart for God, for the things of God. And you don't know it and I don't know it, but God may use your child to do something great in America. That's true, folks. That's not just pie in the sky. That's true to me. It's true. I was reading this week about a man by the name of Tomalicus. Tomalicus was a man that lived in the fourth century. And he felt like God was calling him to Rome. And so he threw all of his belongings in a little sack and off to Rome he went. When he got to Rome, the streets were abuzz with activity. Thousands of people were there in the streets. And it, and, and it, was, it, it, was, it was electrical. And Tomalicus began to ask around and he said, he said, what, what's, what's going on? Why is everybody here? Why is everybody so excited? And they said, oh, they said, have you not heard? This is the day when all the gladiators will fight to the death. And Tomalicus knew that that was wrong. That day as the games began, the story goes that he ran to the Colosseum and those, those gladiators begin to shout, Hail to Caesar, we die for Caesar. Tomalicus jumped over the banners and he ran out onto the field. And he stood be between two gladiators and he held his hands up. And this is what he said, In the name of Christ, forbear. And the crowd began to protest. In fact, they began to shout, Run him through! Run him through! One of the big gladiators came over and he took the back of his sword and he hit Tomalicus in the stomach and he was small of frame and he fell into the, into the dirt. They said that he stood again and he hollered this again, in the name of Christ, forbear. And the crowd began to chant, run him through, run him through. One of the gladiators came over and he plunged his sword into the stomach of Tomalicus. And that small frame of a man fell to the ground and they said the sand became, began to become crimson red with his own blood. And yet one more time he stood and he gasped and he said, in the name of Christ, forbear. And the third time, a hush came. The crowd and the hollering and the screaming began to die down and a little bit of time passed. Here this man bled to death. But they said all of a sudden one man in the stadium got up and he walked out. And then another. And then another. Until finally all 80,000 finally walked out of that stadium. And they said that this was the last time 
that a gladiatorial contest was ever fought in the history of Rome. You know why? One person got dedicated to the cause. One person. One small person. One insignificant person. Said, I believe that I can, I believe I can, I can make a make a difference. And I didn't originally have this in the in the outline, and we're 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 putting here done. Right, listen, the wheels are on the runway. But as I was looking over the, the outline today, man, I thought about this story. I hadn't told this story in a long time. Thomas Paine, the avowed atheist, was in an auditorium. They had they'd gathered, I think, about 2,000 people the, the way I heard the story, and and Thomas Paine was very eloquent in speech and able to have a silver tongue and able to win people over. And, and for an hour, hour and a half, Thomas Paine stood in front of that crowd and told everybody why. There is no God, that God is just a myth. The Bible is just a book. Jesus was just a man. There is no heaven, there is no hell. This is all there is to life. And for about an hour and a half, he preached that there is no God. And then in his audacity, his proud and his pride, at the end of that, he stood and he put his fist in the air and he said, I dare anyone to come to this stage and debate with me that there is a God. There was a hush, as you can imagine. But way up in the balcony, there were two young teenage girls that stood. And they began to sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross. Wait a minute now. When they stood and began to sing, a few more of her on this side stood and they began to sing. And then some on the bottom floor and others in the balcony and others over here on this side. And before they know it, a vast crowd was standing and they were singing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. And they began to sing like a mighty choir. And somebody said, what happened to Thomas Paine? And they said, when the people began to sing, he ran out the back door. Oh, listen to me. God doesn't need a crowd to accomplish a great work. We're done tonight. But how about this, number three? Number three. I think this is something we need to hold on to in 2021. Number three is this. God can avail spiritual forces if we're willing to pray. If we're willing to pray. Now, I want you to take your Bibles. We're done. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. One of my favorite all-time stories. 2 Kings chapter number 6. And I want you to look at verse number 15 with me, if you will. The Bible says that the king of Syria has come for the man of God, Elisha. And he's brought his army. And the army has encompassed the little town where the prophet was living. And so, look at verse 15. We'll pick the story up here in verse number 15. 2 Kings 6, verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, talking about Elisha, Alas, my master. You notice there's an exclamation point right there. He's saying this with some passion. Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, this servant, if Elisha got up a little early and the prophet, he walks into the house, he begins to put the blinds up, begins to open up the house, and all of a sudden he looks out and literally the Syrian army has compassed the city. They've got horses and chariots and swords and, and you name it, they've got it. And by the way, that little servant, he knows why they're there. 
And he just cries out and he says, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Look at verse 16. And he, talking about Elisha, and he answered, what did he say? What's the next two words? Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And so everything is really stirred up until we find Elisha prayed. Verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was, what was it? It was full. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. By the way, you read the rest of that story for your devotions. And you'll find out that God gave the victory. God gave the victory. Now the devil comes and the devil says, Hey, Calvary, I hate to tell you all something, but you're, the, you're in the minority now. Somebody else is steering this ship. Other people are in control now. You know, honestly, I, I'm not trying to discourage you or anything. Like, yeah, right. But I don't think you're going to make it. I don't think the church is going to survive. I don't think you'll be able to preach much longer. I don't think you'll be able to soul win much longer. I don't think you'll be able to carry your Bible much longer. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are in the minority. You're all by your lonesome, but please understand that wherever we are, that God can avail great forces if you and I are willing to pray. We're willing to pray. Old story, old story. Group of missionaries on the, on the field serving in, a, in the bush. And something had happened to get the natives distressed and very angry at the missionaries. And so they decided they didn't want to hear about this God the missionaries were preaching anymore. And so they, they decided that they would uh, come together and that they would kill the missionaries that night. And so word began to spread, rumor began to spread. And so the missionaries called uh, each other up to the mission, little mission house there. They gathered there for prayer. They gathered there for support. The night grew later and later, darkness came. And sure enough, as the missionaries began to pray and they began to look out, sure enough, they could tell the natives were beginning to, they were beginning to make their way around the house. They had their shields, they had their spears. And the missionaries thought, boy, this doesn't look good. But they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And they would look out and sure enough, it was dark, darkness, but they could see, they could see the natives. They noticed that the night passed and a little bit later on, they notice as they begin to look out, the, the natives begin to go to their houses. That day passed, the missionaries were safe. Years passed, they stayed in that village. They begin to preach and teach Jesus. And they eventually led some of those natives to Christ. They eventually led the tribal chief to Christ. And years later, one of the missionaries was talking to the chief. And he said, chief, he said, do you remember that night? When y'all became angry at us, and he said, you gathered around the house, and he said, y'all were going to kill us. And the tribal chief said, oh, yes, I remember that night well. He said, we, we prayed, and he said, but we, we looked out the window. He said, we could see you getting around the house, and the, the, the natives getting around the house. And, and, he, and, and they said, we've always wondered, why, why, why didn't you attack us? And the tribal chief said, well, we came to the house, but he said, we saw the glowing soldiers surrounding the house. 
And the missionary said, I'm do what? He said, we got ready to attack that night. And he said, we saw the glowing soldiers around the house. And he said, when we saw those glowing soldiers, he said, we thought to ourselves, we better, we better leave these people alone. Psalm 91, 11 says it like this, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. You say, Pastor, what happened that night? I'll tell you what happened. Folks begin to pray. And God hears and answers prayer. And God protected a little group of missionaries. Hey, Calvary, listen. This is it tonight. Everything's going to be all right. Don't you get discouraged. Don't you get down in the mouth. Just because a certain candidate won this or lost that or just because things are going on like they're going on in our nation. I'm not trying to tell you what's, I don't know what's going to happen in America, but I do know this, God's in control. God's in control. And God often chooses to use a remnant of people. And so here's the moral of the story tonight. Just hang in there and be faithful. And keep a good spirit, keep your eyes on Jesus and just love God. And I believe God's going to do great things in 2021. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, would you help us to realize everything's all right in my father's house. Lord, you're in control. Everything's okay. And Father, I thank you for reminding us of this tonight. Lord, we need not be discouraged. We don't have to despair. God, we serve the God of all gods. I have a heavenly Father that's all-powerful. Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, 1, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot say, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Hannah said in 1 Samuel 2, verse 2, there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Father, Everything's all right. And I pray that in 2021, Lord, that we'll live on the top side. Understanding that we have the victory in Jesus. God, I pray that we'll keep our smile. I pray that we'll keep our excitement. I pray that we'll keep our passion. I pray, Heavenly Father, tonight that you would ring the number of that young man or that young lady that's seated in this room tonight, that you would start a fire in their soul and help them to understand that you could use them greatly to do something wonderful for the cause of Christ. Father, help us to be a people given to prayer in 2021. I pray you'll have your way. Bless in this invitation, Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Real quickly tonight, I wonder if there may be one here this evening would say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not 100% sure that I would go to heaven. Pastor, would you pray for me tonight? You'd slip your hand up. Is there one anywhere tonight? Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? If you're watching by way of live stream tonight and you don't know Christ as Savior, Please understand that God loved you so much He gave His Son for you, Jesus Christ. Jesus came and He died 
on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He took our sins upon him. First Peter tells us that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Jesus paid the penalty there for my sins and your sins. He was placed in a grave, but three days later, the Bible says that God raised him from the dead. And my dear friend, Jesus Christ did all that for you. Wherever you may be tonight, if you'd be willing to admit that, admit that you're a sinner needs a Savior. If you'd be willing to admit that Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins and that he rose again, did you know that he'll save you right now? Would you confess him with your mouth? The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, would you find a place and just say something like this, Lord, I believe in you. I believe. I believe. I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Please. Lord, tonight I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I trust your finished work on Calvary's cross. I ask you to come into my heart and life and save me and take me to heaven when I die and help me to live the rest of my life for you. Hey, good neighbor, listen, if you'll pray that prayer from a heart of faith, Jesus will save you tonight. And if you do that, please let us know so we can rejoice with you and get some good literature in your hands. Calvary, let's all stand tonight if you would, please. And we're going to pause just for a moment. And if you need to come, the altars are open tonight. Just come on and do business with the Lord. Maybe there's someone here tonight that needs to rededicate their life to Christ. Maybe there's someone here tonight that has been saved, but you've never followed the Lord in baptism. You need to make yourself a candidate for baptism. Maybe tonight someone needs to come and just dedicate their marriage to the Lord. It could be 10,000 things. Maybe someone tonight has a wayward child. And you're so burdened for that, for that child. And tonight you'd come, you'd pray for them. It could be a lot of things. But we're going to pause just for a moment. If you need prayer, we'll be here. And while we wait, while we wait, you come tonight.
Hey, Calvary, let's sing tonight. You did so good singing this song this morning. Invitation's still open if you need to come. We're going to sing a verse or two of this tonight, and we're going to let you go to the house, all right? Amen. Let's sing it together. It's a big congregation. Here we go. Ready? Jesus, use me. And, oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Let's do it one more time. You're sounding good tonight. Here we go. Ready? Jesus, use me. And, oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Here we go, acapella. 